Welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. As always, it is so great to have you. This episode is brought to you by Zabo Apparel Company. Look, if I've said it once, I've said it a million times. It's freezing in Cleveland. It's snow today. Head on over to szaboapparel.com. Get all your Cleveland sporting gear. This episode, Raleigh and I discuss the victory over the Houston Texans this past weekend. We then bring on Brandon Lee Gowton, who is an Eagles reporter, manager, and editor-in-chief of Bleeding Green, and also host of the number one Philadelphia Eagles podcast, BGN Radio. Let's get right into it. Let's go. Podcast for another victory Monday on a Tuesday. Recorded play, Tuesday. Baby. Outstanding. God, it's oh. good. Yeah, that was a stressful. That was a weird one. That was a bizarre game, but it's a W. It's a dub. Another win in the win column and the wind column. You know what I'm saying? That's a sick pun, Kevin. It's a sick pun. Kind of felt like the Raiders game. Oh, it did. One. It did. Oh, yes, that's a big difference too. Welcome back to the Dogs of War podcast. This is your host, Kevin. And co-host slash regular host, Raleigh. How are we feeling? I'm ready to pod. I have a lot to say and a lot to talk about tonight. I can tell. I can see that the the, the tension's in your forehead. I have a lot to pod about tonight. A lot of tension and a lot of forehead. A lot lot of forehead, yes. But anyway, Victory Tuesday, music as always. uh, Time to celebrate. Feeling good, even though you're listening to this on a Wednesday. First thing I want to say is I'm wearing a a Dayton hoodie right now because today, as you're listening to this, is Wednesday. The NBA draft is tonight. I'd like to welcome uh, our fellow Dayton Flyer, Obi Toppin, to the Cleveland Cavaliers, who will take him at the number five pick. You heard it here first. Thank you very much. And I will be the most unbearable, uh, even more than I'm already now, Cleveland sports fan, if and when we select Obi Toppin to the Cavs. I'll feel terrible for him, but I'm very excited. So this Browns podcast and Instagram account essentially taken any ability of mine to watch any other sport. Like I'll catch the tribe when they make the playoffs. Other than that, I just kind of read up on it. There's no chance Obi Toppin goes to date, uh, goes to the Cavs, right? He's going to go quicker than five. I don't know. I don't think so. He could. He very well could. I mean, there's some people say he's the most exciting, the biggest ceiling, the the, the best. But everyone is so obsessed with Ball and Anthony Edwards. And there's just, I don't know, talent-wise, he's right up there with, I mean, he's the best big in the draft, has to be. He's an absolute box office talent. Even if you didn't, don't watch college basketball, you've seen a replay of his dunk somewhere from last season. So he could very well go to the Warriors. He could very well go, hell, Minnesota could take a number one. They could trade. Who knows? But the, the, I'm saying the lowest people think he might would go is five with the Cavs. No, well, that would be pretty neat for you, and I'd be super happy. Uh, flashback to uh, in March or whenever the hell COVID started, uh, the Dayton Flyers had one of the greatest years in the history of their existence. Kevin also has a Dayton Flyers podcast that he's a part of. And I felt really, really, really bad for him, particularly when the season got canceled. Yeah, that was dark times. Very dark times. And I, I just wanted them to release the bracket. Even though we couldn't have a tournament, I wanted to see that number one next to Dayton as a one seed. Because, and the good thing about Dayton fans, God bless us all, is that we're realists. We knew we'd never have the best player in the country again, like we had with Obi. We knew we'd never be a number one seed again. We had a chance to actually go to the Final Four, win a title. Uh, yeah, so I'm still going to be, like, I'm still talking to my therapist about that now. So, but hey, this is a Browns podcast. Let's get to it. Yeah, no, what'd you do for the game? Actually, one more thing. I told you before we got on the microphone, I had a quick reflection I wanted to talk about that I had today. I love your reflections and your rants. So I keep, I keep, unleash. we keep talking about this with, with colleagues, with friends, with family members. 
this winter is going to suck. Because oh, yeah. Of COVID. This winter is going to suck. And we keep hearing this and we keep saying it. I've said it a thousand times. I'm done saying that. And I want everyone else to join me in saying, get over it. It's going to suck. Find something to do this winter. Find a new hobby. Learn an instrument. Start a podcast. Do Become something. an unpaid intern. Become an unpaid intern. Become an unpaid intern. Email us at our Gmail account. Join, help us with this podcast. Winter is going to suck. Making 100 Instagrams and tweets and Facebook posts about it is not going to do anything. Everyone shut up and get over it. And I'm saying this to myself too in the mirror. Like I have to work on that as well. Uh, and also I know we're, uh, we joke around mostly on here, but quick shout out and everyone back home, Northeast Ohio, Cleveland is, and more so than even in the spring and is an absolute clown show with COVID right now. I know so many people, family, friends that have it, that have had it bad. And a big shout out too, because the essential workers, not just in Cleveland, but everywhere. You think about the firemen, police, paramedics. If you live in Cleveland, Ohio, greater Cleveland, there's a 200% chance you know or related to a fireman, police officer, paramedic. Uh, nurses, I have a lot of friends that are nurses back home in Cleveland in the ICUs. They are straight up zombies right now. Uh, they're just getting worn down. I heard the Cleveland Clinic is at capacity as of yesterday for their ICU with COVID cases. So the essential workers out there, the medical people, the front lines, the mail carriers, the store workers, the truck drivers, everyone out there, I don't think you get enough credit. And I think credit where due, you know, you are very, very much appreciated. I know we have a lot of you that listen to this. So much love. We appreciate it. And thinking about everyone back home and everywhere that's going on. It's not just Cleveland, but right now Ohio's getting their asses kicked by it. And we got to get out of that get it soon. So that's the, uh, that's my serious part about today. Uh, once again, yes, the winter's going to suck. Get over it. Find something to do. I'm trying to do that myself. And shout out to everyone back home. Now, let's pick our spirits up and talk about the Browns, baby, after he just crushed me with that. Uh, We're going to pick it back up. But it, was, it needed to be said. We got to give shots to people back home. We're thinking about them. And a lot of them, I mean, Cleveland's such a blue-collar city. A lot of people are working that 9 to 5. They do have to go clock in. They are working. You know, they're not just sitting at home. Um, so it's appreciated. But you know what else is appreciated when the, the Browns victory football game. Yeah. yeah. All that right. So here's what, here's the most surprising thing to me from this game. The Browns won 10 to seven against the Houston Texans. It wasn't a big surprise. We were supposed to beat this team and it's good. when we now we're beating teams. We're supposed to beat minus the Raiders. Uh, Stefanski after the game and some of the reporters I was reading and listening to said, this was the windiest game they've ever been a part of, not just in Cleveland, in their lives. I never thought we would beat, at least not for a long time, two weeks ago with the Raiders. But the fact that they were like, oh, that made the Raiders game look like nothing blows me away. Because we were, ooh, you like that? Yeah, good pun. Sick You pun. and I were both at the Raiders game. We talked about how absurd that weather was. I cannot believe this one out, did it? Yeah, yeah dude, I, uh, so I was trying to stream the game um, from the, uh, from the uh, NFL ticket that I pay for. And – it was showing the Jaguars game and not the Jaguars. It was showing the Panthers. And I was freaking out like, where the hell is it? And I'm just freaking out. Kate's like, is everything okay? I'm like, no, I can't get the game on. And then I found out, I checked my phone and it got delayed. So I look like a total psychopath just because I couldn't get the Browns game on. And even if I would have known it wasn't on or known that I was going to miss 15 minutes of it, it's like, well, the game was 10 to seven and you didn't miss much. Didn't miss much at all. 30 minutes delay, though. Joe Thomas, he tweeted out. He's like, I've never seen a game be delayed for something like this before. So that was something. They cut. They tarped the field. I didn't know they did that in football. So that was something else. I will say I am now firmly – and I know we, we pride ourselves about Cleveland tough and the shores of Lake Erie, and that's real football weather. I'm all in on getting a dome over there. Oh, game. for sure, dude. Like, now after, after being there for the one game, nonetheless playing in it, for God's sakes, or coaching in it, uh, to watching this last one, it's not fun. It's not fun to watch. Multiply that by a thousand in terms of how fun it is to to not play in or to play in. I, I'm. It's time. I mean, <laughs> we were sitting in a booth and we were cold. <laughs> I. It's not fun to watch. It's it's just too much, and that's what it's going to be for a lot of games, like it always is. So I, I'm totally on Team Dome right now. Uh, some things about the Texans. 
I know that they said they don't have a run game. We had the, the guys on from the Texas podcast last week. Uh, they have no run game confirmed. Yeah, Absolutely that is nothing. confirmed. I was worried about J.J. Watt. They said that he's you know, kind of past his prime a little bit. I was still worried about him uh, jumping through and getting to Baker. Our old line, welcome back, Wyatt Teller. Uh, J.J. Watt was a ghost, nowhere to be found. He was, he was a missing person. I don't like that take, Kevin. I think we should say J.J. Watt is still the man. But our, I like J.J. Watt. Line, our offensive line came out on top. Jack Conklin, say hello. He 100%. No, no, I'm not. We have one of the best old lines in the league, which is if you would have said this last year, I would have said you're insane. But, yes, our O-line, credit to them 100%. But I still expected J.J. Watt being one of the best defenders of our generation. Or, yeah, to have something. To just do something in that game, there's nothing. Uh, that missed field goal because of the wind, that helped. I, and I know hindsight's twenty twenty, but even during the game, when we saw the weather, everyone was saying, really, this is going to be one of those games where the first team to score wins. And whoever turns over the ball uh, in the second half, the first one to turn it over, it loses. No one turned the ball over, of course. Uh, just how our luck works. But thank God we didn't, the yeah, Browns we didn't, didn't turn it over. Yeah. Uh, Which one. Let's, let's applaud them for that. No yeah. turnovers. Fantastic, boys. Yep. That's what I like to see. That's what we like to see. Untimely turnovers. It just crushes your soul. And we didn't have any. I don't think we had any against the Raiders either. No. So we're going to get to the hero, of course. But I do need to say – for those for the people out there that keep trying to compare these two guys, and that you're out of your minds, just shut up. They're the two best backs in the league, the two best backfield in the league. Just be happy They're with They're both it. sick. Kareem Hunt, oh, my God. The effort that man puts into carrying that football, he, you just – it takes 10 guys to tackle him. And when he gets hit, he starts to stop running. It was just his – what he does after the first contact, just – the dog in that guy is so fun to watch. I love Kareem Hunt. He's Cleveland to a T. He's Browns football to a T. His grit is through the roof. Uh, he needs to get more credit than he's getting. Uh, Miles Garrett, once again, Miles the machine, prevented the touchdown when they did the goal line stand. Uh, he got to Deshaun for a two-yard loss, so that could have been a game changer. A quick question. Do you, and you may know the answer to this. You may not. Uh, Miles got credited for a half a sack in that game and that came uh on a different play than when he tackled Deshaun at the goal line if you tackle a quarterback for a loss and it was like a run play like why did he not get credit for that sack or was it because it was not a two-yard loss and it was at the these are things we could probably google we have a podcast I'm actually but... unaware of that stat I'll look it up yeah it's a good That's... question though Anyone yeah, else no. who knows, uh, yeah, slide into the DMs. Uh, yeah. Or feel free to call in the Munilot payphone. We'll give that the number too. at the end of the show, and uh, you can enlighten us all. Two words, Nicholas Chubb. He's a badass. I mean, are you, <laughs> are you kidding me? Wait, wait, wait. wait God, I end, missed you. Wait, let's end with Chubb, but we got to talk about how incredibly brutal those announcers were. They, oh, I almost forgot. We were texting they, the whole game about this. They mispronounced more players' names on that team. It was Kevin Stefanski. Um, uh, Janovich. Yeah, Janovich. They said uh, Sendejo's name correctly. I'll give him credit for that. No, but one um, time they messed it up. It was like uh, Sendejo. One time they said Sendejo. Yeah, they called – I swear they said like Baker Mayfield or something. Like, Look, it, and it wasn't even – it, once in a while, you're not going to notice, but they pronounced, I think, every name on that field wrong at least once. And just other basic words they were messing up, too. Jed Nick, Willis. <laughs> Jed, that was killing me. That one over and over <laughs> again. Yeah, the announcers, uh, that was not their best game on Sunday. Those guys are legends. Their, their legacy, they've been doing it for 30, since before you and I were born, I think. But uh, I think their, their prime is well past them, and you and I should take their jobs. Well, re yeah, for sure. Reoccurring theme should be learning how to pronounce the occasional player's name. Yes. They weren't batting 50%. It was like 18%. Before we get to our Chubb Shrine, uh, one more thing. Farrell Brown, former Browns tight end who we released in September, who now plays for the Texans, he scored the Texans' only touchdown on a pass from Deshaun Watson. As soon as he scored, he looked over to our bench and did the scissor cut sign at us. I mean, ooh, yeah, you, got, I, I, you win, I, I, bro. You got us. I'd have done that. 
for sure. I mean, it's just like, I just pettiness. I just love. Dude, if a team cuts you and you score a touchdown against that team and you're allowed to celebrate, you celebrate. I have no qualm with that. Usually, though, when we cut players, no matter what team they're going through, it's a better situation. Yeah. Not anymore. Not anymore. Not this time, Mr. Brown. (laughs) Sorry you got downgraded. uh, And I lied. One more thing. Uh, It's just the, the way people talk about Baker compared to other quarterbacks. Okay, a couple things, first of all. ESPN, social media, and fantasy football have destroyed our outlook on quarterback success. People think that if you're not uh, Mahomes doing the sidearm throws or the no-look passes that are getting all the clips on top 10 or whatever, that you're just not a good quarterback, which is absolutely absurd. If you're not getting the most fantasy points, you're not a good quarterback. This is such a bullshit narrative. I don't want to get into it because I'm just going to get mad. We've already talked about this a thousand times on here about the Baker stuff that he has to, that he takes. And not just because he's a friend of the program either. It's just when Deshaun Watson uh, threw a pass, uh, who was uh, the old Packers receiver? Oh, uh, Jesus. Either Cobb. way. Randall Cobb. Randall Cobb. He threw, the pa- he threw a couple passes to Cobb and Cobb dropped him. They go, oh, man, that's on Cobb. He's got to catch that. Baker threw the same exact pass a couple times. I, you know, I mean, he, I forget who it was too. They go, wow, that's on Baker. He's got to make that throw. It's just, you <laughs> could just laugh at it. I was laughing at it because you could tell the, it's just, it's so crazy how they talk about Baker and how there's just this narrative about him that, you know, his spot in the draft, because he's number one, he has to be better than Mahomes, best quarterback in the league. Drives me insane. I'm so sick of it. But, and one more thing I want to say too, uh, a lot of this, Dan Orlovsky on ESPN, he's a top three ESPN analyst for me. I think he is the best I've ever seen on national television with regards to breaking down football so a two-year-old can understand it. He's incredible with how he breaks things down. That being said, uh, he's praised Baker, too, in the past, but he's also right now one of the ones that will be the first to give him the criticism. Um, let's not forget, and just to prove that these guys get paid to have these hot takes, they're not actually real. Orlovsky was the quarterback for the 0-16 Detroit Lions a few years ago. Okay? So, people out there that are listening to him and being like, oh, man, he's right. Everything you've seen about Baker is right. No. That is proof they are paid to say things for shock value and for clicks. He was the quarterback for the 0-16 Detroit Lions a few years ago. And so, him saying something about Baker, come on, guys. Like, can we stop? Get this out of my Twitter feed, all this dumb shit. I'm so sick of it. Uh, Off to you, Raleigh. Uh, yeah, I, you know, it was a low-scoring game. I feel like the past two games, uh, it was Raiders by week, uh, Houston. The weather was insane. It's not like one team was putting up 57 points while the other team was putting up 10. It was incredibly low-scoring, both ends of the field. Our run game is our strength. That's what we focus on. Baker made some clutch throws. Um Threw a couple to Hollywood that were some desperate needed first down conversions, but oh, Hollywood's first pass! I was like, "Come on, baby! I need a touchdown! I need a Hollywood celebration! My favorite <laughs> touchdown celebration!" But I thought they looked good. I mean, it wasn't the prettiest game, but they got the win. I do believe that a quarterback's most important stat is wins, and we got that win, baby. And you know, I don't know if it was low scoring because the weather sucked. Or if our defense is incredible, let's just say the defense was incredible and the weather was a non-factor. I don't know. It doesn't matter. Our opinions are irrelevant. Let's get into Mr. Chubb. Mr. Nick Chubb. Breaking the hearts of every gambler. Breaking the hearts of every – That's the thing. Oh, yeah. For everyone that had uh, Browns minus three and a half, for those of you that, you know, have a little problem with math, uh, winning 10 to 7, they all lost that bet because he went out at the last minute to ice the game. Everything that's already been said about him has been said. He's the most selfish player. And he actually said after the game, Stefanski told them before that drive, do not score. Do not score. So what he could have done is he could have slid or whatever. But he said when he was running, it took him to about the 10-yard line until he realized and remembered, oh, shit, I'm not supposed to score. And that's why he ran out last second. No one would have blamed him if he scored a touchdown. Some of the other players, it was funny. They're like, oh, I would have scored for sure. Yeah. Uh, he, is, he is going to get paid. He is exactly 
uh, what we've been looking for for so long. And not just for talent, obviously, yes, but who he is as a player, a leader, the grit, the skill, the silence. The quiet assassin. Unbelievable. But, yeah, that was – I got more – I don't know. I think betting on the Browns is the dumbest thing possible. One, I think gambling is pretty dumb. Like, you literally – you never win. When you win, you lose more times than you win, even if you're good at it. Like, do you not have enough emotionally invested in a Browns Sunday that you have to get your wallet involved? Like, I just can't, I can't bet on my own teams. I can't. Yeah, but – Not because I'm afraid – it's just because if I bet on them, it's an automatic loss for them. <laughs> I don't care about my – like, if I bet on a team, as long as I don't bet, they have a better chance of winning. <laughs> uh, speaking of betting, we have another game coming up this weekend, another football game that the Browns are playing against the Philadelphia Eagles, who are 3-5-1 and one right now, first place in NFC East, which I have a lot to say about that. We have a Eagles podcaster. Uh, he's editor-in-chief and the host of Bleeding Green and Bleeding Green Network Radio, which is the biggest Eagles podcast on the internet. He's joining us right now. Let's get into that, and we'll see you soon. We now welcome on to the Dogs of War podcast, Brandon Lee Gouton who's an Eagles reporter, manager and editor-in-chief of Bleeding Green, and host of BGN Radio, which is the number one Eagles podcast on the internet in the world, as far as we're concerned. Mr. Gowden, welcome to the podcast. Thank you for joining us. Kevin, Raleigh, thanks for having me. Glad to be here. Did I get that right? Did I get the taglines right? Yeah, you you nailed everything. You, you, You made me sound way more important than I am, which I always appreciate. We'll have his Twitter bio in the, the episode description, but he's got one of those Twitter bios where he is the editor or host of 8,000 Things. Explain. Well, tell us what you do. How, how'd you get involved with all the Eagles stuff? I'm curious to hear more. Yeah, all right. So, I mean, going back years, I've been I've been doing Bleeding Green Nation really since 2013 now. So, seven years, uh, a long time. Uh, I've been writing about them way too much. Uh, especially now that it's really taken its toll, but obviously highs and lows along the way. Yeah, so obviously writing about the Eagles for BleedingGreenNation.com. Been podcasting since 2013 as well, as you mentioned, for Bleeding Green Nation's podcast, BGN Radio. Also doing a kind of more of a national NFL show now on SB Nation uh, NFL show feed. It's called the Off Day Debrief. I do it with uh, former ESPN uh, Mike and Mike producer and former Pro Football Talk live producer uh, Rob Guerrera, aka Stats. So Ooh. we have fun in that show talking about the league. We, we talk about the Browns sometimes there, so so people can go check that out. You gotta have a punchline once in a while. The Browns are usually good for that. <laughs> until recently, until recently, bite your yes. tongue. So what we usually like to do when people come on, like I said, we usually, we love to bring on a podcaster from. The opposing team's number one podcast, of course. The Eagles are dominating some of the NFL, a lot of the NFL headlines this season for a lot of things. But before we get into that, one thing we love to ask are preseason expectations. From what I saw from, you know, the minimal Eagles headlines that I was reading over the summer is that you guys were, were poised to come in and challenge for a deep playoff run. Um, you know, Carson Wentz, the $100-plus million man. Doug Peterson, you guys won a Super Bowl a few years ago. That's what we were understanding is that that was the goal. But uh, break down the preseason expectations coming into this year. Yeah, so I think the over-under was set around like 9.5. And uh, I was kind of between 9 or 10 wins for this team. But truth be told, I didn't feel great about the offseason. I have not felt good about Eagles general manager Howie Roseman for some time now. So there was kind of some cognitive dissonance there where it's like, okay, I don't really feel great about what's going on here with the GM, but I believe in Carson Wentz enough, and I believe in Doug Peterson enough, especially – like showing what they did at the end of last year, you know, where it looked like they were dead in the water and all of a sudden they make this run, they win the NFC East, Carson Wentz is looking good. And unfortunately, you know, he takes that big hit by Jadavion Clowney in the playoffs, gets knocked out. Um, But everything up until that moment was trending in a real positive way. It's like, all right, you know, they're going to come back in 2020 after this promising end of the season. And uh, they're going to be able to build on that, especially, you know, adding like a Jalen Rager, you know, getting some more help at receiver, um, some more speed, getting Deshaun Jackson back. Uh, it was such a big issue for the past couple of years that they haven't had a vertical threat. 
Um, and then on the other side of the ball, they were giving up way too many big plays to opposing receivers. They bring in Darius Slay, and you're like, all right, so we got that fixed. And, uh, you know, with all that said, I still didn't think they were like a championship contender as much as they kind of just were a contender to win the NFC East and, and again, maybe kind of win nine games. Uh, but clearly they've, they've fallen way short of that. And, you know, Carson Wentz is a big reason why he's struggling. He's one of the worst quarterbacks in the NFL this year. So, uh, so yeah, the expectations, I think, weren't, weren't sky high, you know, but they were certainly for this team to be a, a playoff team. And really, to me, the goal I set, uh, which is who cares? It's just me being arbitrary. But my goal was for the team was like they should win double digit games and they should win one playoff game. For the record, you guys still are a playoff team throw that out there <laughs> let's not forget the eagles are three five and one you guys apparently every year now an ohio team has to tie a pennsylvania team in the nfl we tied the sealers last year you guys tied the Bengals this year but at three five and one you guys are number one first place in the nfc east i was saying before we got on the microphone how there have been so many times where we were two and five or one and six or whatever and we were already mathematically eliminated you guys are still in the playoffs right now yeah, unfortunately, really, honestly, because it's just like they, they, they shouldn't be like it's not deserved. Like for all the struggles that have gone on from the front office to the coaching staff to the quarterback position, like they don't deserve to be in position to make the playoffs. And it's kind of like maddening that we have to talk about the possibility since it, it is possible. And yeah, they are in first. And honestly, they could probably win like I probably think two more wins could get it done in terms of clinching the East, maybe even one, depending how, you know, the, the rest of the, the teams do here. Um, but yeah, it's pretty pathetic to be honest. Well, that, you, know, you, know, you know, you're on a Browns podcast, right? I know <laughs> we would take a, whatever we got to do to get into the playoffs. We went 10, the one time we go 10 and six in 2007, we didn't make it. It's very real that the same thing happens this year. Oh, yeah. And then we got Brandon on. It's like, yeah, that's, it's unfortunate we're just going to make the playoff with minimum effort. <laughs> well, I'll keep you in my prayers. Definitely don't feel bad for me. That's, that's <laughs> definitely not the argument and definitely don't feel – it's just – it's all perspective though, right? I mean, it's – I think the, the thing is, you know, and I get it. From your perspective, it makes total sense. You know, Browns, what, it's been like 2002 we're looking yeah. at here? The yeah, you got it's, it. So, like – so I don't blame it. But for from an Eagles perspective, it's like they didn't need to be this bad because they had it's, you know, it's all about opportunity cost here. It's like they won the Super Bowl and they had every reason to kind of like build on that as opposed to go down the drain. It wasn't like they were in a situation where they cast all their they cashed all their chips in to win that Super Bowl. It's like, oh, they have they have enough pieces here to like go on a run and maybe be like not, you know, a dynasty is not an easy thing to do, but kind of be somewhere like that. And they just have gone down year after year after year. So that's kind of like where the where the where the disappointment comes in. The year you guys won it, you, you had the best line on both sides of the ball, correct? Yeah. Um, which I gotta throw this little shout out. How is Brandon Brooks doing for you guys? He actually went to Miami University, the Midwest of Ohio, whatever the hell you always say about Dayton, Kevin. Greatest university of all time, except for Ben Roethlisberger. Is he still a impact player for you guys? So he's hurt this year. He's out. Uh, he suffered a um, <laughs> oh, shit. Achilles injury back in May. But wow. I mean, before, Wait, thanks, before, Raleigh. Whoops. Well, before he got hurt, though, I mean, he was he was playing great, and he's really been playing like the best football of his career recently, as of late in his career before getting hurt. And really, he suffered a Achilles injury. January 2019, and it was crazy that he was even ready to begin the season week one. Didn't miss any time last year. So that dude's a warrior. Um, even after getting hurt this offseason, he's, like, posting videos of himself doing, like, taekwondo just like it's like he's hurt. He's injured. His leg is in, you know, like, it's crazy. He's just, he's an animal. He's a beast. Uh, well, I'm an idiot. Uh, thoughts and prayers, Brandon Brooks. Um, and Give us the rundown of that Super Bowl run. Let's pick everybody's spirits up. Yeah, Call it's what it's like, like the winner Super Bowl. Yeah, a team, a team that has been <laughs> depraved of a Super Bowl. You guys were the first two. And to ch to, uh, cherry on top of that, I was going to ask this later, but good segue, Raleigh. Because of a Super Bowl that was just a few years ago for you guys, does that dull some of the pain of the frustration of this year, or do you see yourself still being as mad, or if not more mad? If you didn't have the uh, same amount of mad, if you didn't win a Super Bowl, if that makes well, sense, is it chasing the dragon? That's a great question. 
Sick question. Those are great questions. Those are great. That's great perspective. Um, well, first of all, no small part to the Browns. You know, the Eagles winning the Super Bowl because of the Carson Wentz trade. Um, obviously, didn't you know seal the deal, but he had them in such amazing position that year to get the number one seed. I feel like we don't kind of talk about that enough. Just a general we, the royal we, where like you know Nick Foles came in and got it done, and I'm not trying to take anything away from him, but they like they had the one seed. You know, they had home games in the playoffs. That's a huge deal, and Carson Wentz got them that. So. Like he deserves a ton of credit for the Super Bowl, even though he didn't finish it. And yeah, it was just an awesome year, man. I mean, the offense was awesome. Carson Wentz was on fire. Uh, the defense, you know, was was not like necessarily elite, but they're good. And the defensive line, especially the defensive, the pass rush was elite. The defensive line was elite. Um, so it was just the coaching was amazing too. I thought that really stood out in the playoffs. Uh, you um, know, sorry to interrupt. You know who I was happy? No, go for? ahead. Who I was happiest for as a Browns fan? You said coaches was John D. Filippo because. Yeah. He had to coach Johnny Manziel and Cleveland as quarterbacks coach. And then his reward for putting up with that shit show was to go coach Wentz. And Wentz was having an MVP season that year. And then he got a Super Bowl. So I was happy for Flip. But sorry, keep going. No, and Foles too, you know, then him having to to, yep. to yeah. get Foles up to speed and, and doing a great job with that. So, yeah, uh, Flip was definitely a big part of that run. And uh and I really, really going now, someone I think the Eagles miss in terms of uh, giving their players tough love, specifically when it comes to Carson Wentz. So, so yeah, it was an amazing run. Um, I was there in Minnesota. I got to see, I got to cover the game. I couldn't, like, believe what I was seeing when I was, like, it was happening. The confetti's falling. I'm like, this has happened. I never thought this would happen. Oh, I, I got the Eagles were cursed. <laughs> oh, yeah, don't, was, even, it, don't even talk about curses. Well, I'm not saying curse. I'm just saying, like, well, I mean, it had been 19, it had been since 1960, 1960. Yeah. Since the Eagles had won a championship prior to winning the Super Bowl. And, you know, and then really being in a division too, where, you know, obviously you guys have to deal with the Steelers, these Steelers fans talking about, you know, six rings all the time. Well, you know, it's Cowboys fans, Giants have multiple four, I think Super Bowls, Washington, not in a long time, but they have multiple Super Bowl rings too. So it's all you have to hear as an Eagles fan before no Super Bowls. Um, so that, to get that one was obviously amazing. But then getting into the part of your question where you said, like, does it dull it now? I mean, there was a grace period, I think, like, the, you know, the year the year after they didn't win, like 2018 season, um, you know, they, they lost in the divisional round. But I think for the most part, people felt like, okay, you know, what we you couldn't really expect more you know the team was hurt Foles was starting again a lot of injuries they just gone to the super bowl the year before it's like you know they gave it a good effort like it's it's pretty much like the least disappointing end to an eagle season where they didn't win a super bowl ever um but since then again it's it has been more disappointing and maybe that we are spoiled in that regard i get it from coming from your perspective but it, it comes down to like they could reasonably be better than this. It's not like they're doing everything they can and just had bad luck. It's like they've screwed things up in a big way where all of a sudden now they could have been like this really, you know, NFC elite, an elite team in the NFC for years. And now they're just kind of like irrelevant, really. So I think Scott Van Pelt described this perfectly a few months ago during basketball season because Maryland hoops won the championship in 1990, a long time ago when he was there. He describes it as that championship provided what he calls a sweater that keeps him warm for the rest of his life. Not going to necessarily save him from the Arctic winters or whatever, but it just keeps him warm when he needs it forever. And I took that because I think of like the Cavs in 2016. Because I just I, I made I said God, just give me one before I die, please. And so I got I can't you know I made a deal I can't ask for anything else. But so I, I kind of I, I see what you're saying 100 percent with that. Um, so I got to ask because. You know, yesterday on ESPN on first take, uh, Orlovsky and Max Kellerman almost got in a fistfight over this. And this has been the headlines on ESPN for weeks. Talking about Wentz or Doug Peterson, for those of you living under a rock, that's the quarterback and the coach of the Eagles. Wentz in his fifth season, $100 million plus quarterback. He's having a very, very, I don't even know how to describe his year because I'm Bad. shocked and I'm not, even, I'm not even an Eagles. I don't even write for the Eagles. I don't know how you guys have to write about this week in that week out. So I know you talk about this and have written about this every five minutes on your end of things. But for us here, what is it? What is the biggest? I love Eagles fans are deadly, just like Browns fans. You guys are even more so. You guys are like known as being the maniacal, just lunatics. I love it. Who is everyone blaming right now? Is it 50-50 Peterson versus Wentz? What is the deal? Well, coming off of this game, the most recent game, and that's relevant because I think it's hard to – uh, yeah, Giants game, sorry. And then 
because you if I'm going off of the Cowboys game, it wasn't really as much as Doug Peterson, although he didn't you know have a good game. But I mean, Carson wanted four turnovers in that game. It's hard to blame the coaching staff when your quarterback is turning the ball over four times against a defense, Cowboys defense that is terrible, and had only forced three takeaways the whole season leading up to that game. So not just the coaching there. Now you know coming off of this game though, Carson Wentz doesn't have any turnovers, and I think a lot of people are saying. It is the coaching's. It's like the coaching staff. It's all their fault, and I, I'm just not there, man. I think this honestly, like we all, it's it's the fun thing to do, you know, to point to one person and say they're the blame the most, especially probably because like we think in our minds, oh, we just get rid of that one thing and we fix that, and then we're good. But like, so that's not how the situation is here. It's the front office is really to blame because they failed to set Carson Wentz up in terms of having adequate help time and time again. The coaching staff is to blame because they don't give Carson Wentz tough enough love, I think, and, and he isn't really being held accountable. There's that report out this week from Mike Silver that there are sloppy practice ha- habits. Um, I know that the relationship with uh, Eagles quarterback coach Press Taylor, unlike the one with John Filippo, where Flip actually kind of had the – uh, the the cachet, if you will, to kind of like hold Carson Wentz's feet to the fire and like get in his face and challenge him. My That's favorite press easy. conferences ever were Flip's press conferences. He just he just shoots it straight. There's no bullshit with that guy. Yeah, exactly like that. that. Yeah. Well, he's a Philly guy too. Like, you know, he's from the area. He's tough. So uh, I don't think that's the situation that the Eagles are in right now. And then Carson Wentz, you know, I think he just ultimately at the end of the day, I think Carson kind of does deserve the most blame because when you look at how bad his numbers are, I mean, like these are bench worthy numbers. This is, this is a $128 million quarterback. I'm not going to say it's all on him, but ultimately he's the quarterback. Like he's the guy who has the potential to say, you know what? All this stuff around us isn't ideal deal it's not good but i'm so freaking good that i'm gonna rise above it and it's one thing like if he was playing like a top 12 quarterback top 15 kind of like mediocre ish and we're like you know why isn't carson what's a top five like that would kind of be unfair like no one should be expecting him to be a top five quarterback or even maybe even top 10 right now but like he should not be 32nd he should not be bottom of the league there's no good excuse for that so i saw some articles written i think by philly writers this week that there was a lot of different arguments, a lot of different hot takes, of course, flying left and right, which is for every, every single team, of course. People were arguing that he should not be benched because benching Wentz gives it an easy out for the coach and Wentz. They say they need to ride him out to really see if he can turn it around or really see what's going on here. What do you think about that? I want to see Carson Wentz get benched during a game. And I, I think that's an important distinction because back in 2008, when the Eagles had Donovan McNabb, um, he had a really bad game against the Baltimore Ravens, like the first half. And coming into the second half, Andy Reid pulled him. He put Kevin Cobb in, who I think they had just drafted that year or the year before, one of those two. And uh, Donovan McNabb wasn't benched, you know, in terms of being a starter. He started the next week and he had one of his best games on Thanksgiving against the Cardinals. So I would really want to see how Car- like Carson Wentz kind of responds to that benching, to that accountability. Now, obviously, you're not going to just do that if he's having a good game. I'm saying like if he, you know, he comes right. into a first half, multiple turnovers, where the offense just isn't getting anything going, they're not scoring. I think then you yank him and you see how it goes. And especially because here's the other part of it. I want to see, you know, what does this offense look like with Jalen Hurts? Because all of a sudden, if it looks a lot better, is it still the coaching that's all to blame, you know, for the quarterback? Uh, Clearly not at that point. And I think another thing that's kind of getting lost in all this when we talk about coaching versus quarterback is Carson Wentz has a lot of influence on this offense, and he has a lot of power on this team. And I don't think everyone necessarily realizes that. I think Doug Peterson, or I think people think Doug Peterson has total control. I don't think that's the case. I mean, Doug Peterson doesn't even get to fully pick his coaching staff from what we know. Doug Peterson wanted his offensive coordinator and wide receivers coach back heading into the season. And for, you know, full uh, clarity, like they shouldn't have been back, but he wanted them. And then the next day, the owner, well, not the, not doesn't come out and say it, but those two guys get fired after Doug Peterson sticks his neck out for them. So there's clearly like a disconnect here. And I I really think Doug Peterson doesn't have as much power probably as he should and as much people as as they think they do. So there's a whole lot of issues going on. here. Do you think that uh, Peterson's job is in question going into next year or is he safe? Yeah, I I think it's in question. I I'm not going to say, so here's where I think I'm at with it. I, I would think they would not fire him. 
until you make him give up play calling duties at the least. I think that would be like the first step. Like you make, you're like, Doug, you can't call the plays anymore. You have to hire an actual offensive coordinator, which the Eagles don't have. They went through this whole stupid offensive coordinator search this offseason to not even hire one. Um, so I think that's kind of the first step. That's so Browns. <laughs> it's just like, why? Like, what are we doing? Uh, yeah, so I think that's kind of the first step, but it kind of depends here too. Now, like, do we go down the stretch and have, they're just getting like blown out every week and the players have quit and there's like effort issues at that point well yeah he's gonna get fired but as long as he can kind of keep the team together um i i think he's i mean he's, this is crazy that we're here like it's crazy that you're it's totally fair you're asking me this but like it's crazy that it's a fair question because this is the only coach in eagles history who has won <laughs> super bowl and they've made the playoffs the last three years and we're like should he be fired? Like it's it's crazy that we've reached this point. But again, it's a fair question. So it was also an argument then, or a debate in the Philly camp. Is it because Frank Reich was was the OC of the Super Bowl, correct? Yes. So uh, are people saying, you know, because I know they always say Doug Peterson, the QB whisperer, is it a fair argument that people are having now that Frank and Flip were really to to blame for that success? I think they were, you know, big factors in there. Sure. I, I don't think it's fair to say, you know, like they were the true masterminds only. And Doug sure. Peter said it had nothing to do because I think you get people say that. And I just that you can miss me with that. Like the, t- the team has had success. I mean, neither of those two guys were here in 2018 when Nick Foles took over late in the season and they went to the divisional round. And if Alshon Jeffrey doesn't drop a pass late in that game, maybe they're able to tie it up. Maybe they're going to the NFC championship game for a second year in a row. Um, again, Reich and flip not there at that point. So, yeah. uh, and then even at the end of last year in 2019, you know, they went in a good run. So it's not fair to say like they, they're the only guys who deserve credit, but I mean, my biggest issue with losing those guys wasn't like, you can't keep coaches forever. You know what I mean? Like you have good assistants, you're going to lose them. That's the name. We all know that's what happens in the NFL. Like that's just the, the cycle, the process. The problem is they didn't put any effort into replacing them. When the Eagles hired Doug Peterson and John Filippo and Frank Reich in 2016, there was this big emphasis about like how we hired these former quarterbacks. They're going to come in. They're going to coach Sam Bradford, who the Eagles still had at the time, and Carson Wentz. Like the Eagles were going to draft a quarterback, and really they put so much emphasis into that. Like you heard the owner talk about that. You heard the GM talk about that. And then they lose Flip and Reich in the same offseason, and there was no like great effort to hold like a search to find the best candidates to replace those guys. It was like, all right, we're just going to automatically promote everyone from within. That'll be fine. Like I never got that. Like why did you put so much emphasis in the first place on those positions, and then you lose them, and it's like, yeah, no big deal. Speaking of quarterbacks, you guys drafted Jalen Hurts in the draft last year, Alabama quarterback. For those of you living under a bridge back home, former Alabama quarterback. Excuse me. Now, he hasn't even played a full series this year, I don't think. I think he comes in for like two or three snaps a game sometimes. Is their unwillingness to play Jalen because they don't want to admit that they might have been wrong with their $100 million investment, or is Jalen just not that good? Jalen, uh, sorry, I was going to say Jalen Rager. Jalen Hurts, I from what I saw in him in training camp, he looked pretty good. Like I, I wouldn't say he looked bad at all, so I don't think it's that. Um, now, you know, mind you, he didn't have, you know, full off season, whatever. So maybe mm-hmm. the coaching staff's a little reluctant. I, I do think, you know, the wins factor is totally relevant in there when it comes to like the, the idea that you can't put the toothpaste back in the tube, you know, like once you sit Carson Wentz, your franchise quarterback down you know, you're opening the can of worms yeah. there. So I, I definitely think that factors in. Um, I also, again, when I, I'm talking about like power, like I don't know that Doug Peterson totally has the power to sit Carson Wentz. I don't know that. I, maybe he does. I can't say with confidence that he does. So that's another factor to consider because I think Wentz has a lot of power in this organization, and that might be another element to consider here. Like he, he's not even in danger of getting benched because he, uh, he's like. You just said that um, Peterson had his guys uh, that he wanted to return yep. that were fired the next day. Like that type of internal Game of Thrones shit, I does no favors of the franchise. There was a little bit of that going on uh, with our owner Jimmy Haslam and uh, Sashi Brown a while ago. Yeah. Nobody knows what's really, really going on in that organization except the organization. But when you see little power moves like that that you can read about, it's like ah, oh, it's not that good. Whatever it is, I, you can never put the blame on one person in an organization like the Browns have never had a quarterback issue 
they've had an organization issue that led to a bunch of failed quarterbacks. So I don't only know. About, what I'm going only about with. forty. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but no, it's uh, good stuff. We got any? Uh, should we go into the where you want to see the matchups this week, Kevin? Yeah, you know, I, I think well, one last question about Carson, too, is we talked about how good of an O-line and D-line you guys had a few years ago for the Super Bowl. I mean, that's a big reason why you guys won, not to mention his MVP season, too, before he got hurt. Do you guys think that, you know, he's been sacked a lot this year, he's turned the ball over a lot this year. Is the lack of a strong O-line, does he have the yips from that? Is he just now he's that he's gotten hit a few times? Is that really affecting his mental outlook of this game? I think it's fair to wonder um at the same time i think for it had as unideal as the offensive line has been since they've had a bunch of injuries i mean there's still been like plenty of plays where he's just had time to throw and inaccurate or bad decision um so you know i can't put all of it on the offensive line i will say it's factored in sure again this is you can look at the offensive line struggles and kind of like be like okay this is again why Carson Wentz isn't playing like a top five top 10 quarterback this year he can't overcome everything to this major extent but he should be able to work with it better than he has that's that's how I'd put it Uh, one more thing too before we get into the talk about the the upcoming game on Sunday former uh, teammate of Peterson in Green Bay guy used to play quarterback his name is Brett Favre on ESPN last week his take was that the Eagles should have kept Foles what did you guys even put any any weight in that? Are you like whatever? It's just again a hot take on ESPN, um, or people like, oh, this is one of Peterson's boys. You know, maybe does he listen to that at all? Yeah. So Brett Favre actually uh, came out with this back in like January 2019 when Foles was still on the team, and oh. I, I think it was after the season. Um, no, not your fault. Like this is you know this is how the media. No, I'm, works. Surprised. Like, I'm surprised. I'm surprised. Yeah, and it was like a story back then, like that Favre said the Eagles should keep Foles when he was still on the team at the time, and then you know because things because of how the media works, so he resurfaces this week. Except now he says it after the fact they should have kept Foles, and somehow it's, it's a new story, and obviously went to struggling, and that's why it's relevant. Um, and then it was weird because Doug Peterson was asked about it, yeah, last week, and he took like three times for him to be like Carson Wentz is our quarterback. But the first two times he was just like, I respect Brett Favre's opinion, and I think. Doug Peterson isn't like the smoothest guy when it comes to press conferences. So I think that's a factor in there. And I also think it's a factor that he didn't want to throw Brett Favre under his bus. Cause like they're legitimately good friends. Like he yeah. didn't want to be like, well, I don't know what that guy's talking about. Like he didn't want to like say anything that kind of, he didn't yeah. want a headline to be like Doug Peterson blasts Brett Favre or, or, you know, like he tells Brett Favre to shut up or whatever. So I, I don't th- I think he was trying to avoid that, but he did it in a way that, you know, that was weird and awkward. And ultimately I think the Foles thing is just like, it's such a tired angle to me from the perspective of the people who are still like pro Foles. Like, are you not watching what he's doing in Chicago? Mm-hmm. Like the bears look awful. The Jaguars looked awful when he was in there last year, he got bench for Gardner Minshew. He's in danger of getting benched for Mitchell Trubisky. Now, uh, you know, depending on what happens there with the injury and everything now that he yeah. has. So it's just like, Here's the reality, guys. Like, it's it's very possible that like neither Carson Wentz nor Fig- <laughs> nor nor Nick Foles are the answer for the Eagles. It's, like, every, you know, it's the debate which one. Like, maybe the it's limit neither. does they're not both exist. Playing pretty poorly. Yeah, yeah, they're, they're they're both playing terribly. I will yeah. say this was the easiest interview to prepare for this entire season because every single question I've asked you today, Brandon, is questions that I have asked ourselves or we've been asked for the past many, many years at some point or another. So, and it's almost like looking in a mirror with, with you guys a little bit, not, I don't want to, I don't want to, I'm not, I don't want to put the Browns on you guys, please. But uh, just some of the quarterback stuff and whatnot, it's just, it's, it's been fat. I'm truly fascinated by the Eagles this year, but as, uh, as Raleigh brought up, uh, let's talk about the game coming up on Sunday. Eagles are coming into Cleveland where it's been essentially a tornado in the stadium the last two weeks. Uh, the Browns are favored by three and a half, but that's more or less a coin flip when it comes to pro football, especially with the weather and just because we're being at home. I think the over-under is 45 and a half, which uh, common sense would imply to hammer that under. What are some things you, you guys aren't having the season that you wanted to, but you guys aren't the Jets. You're not the, the Jaguars. So there's still some good pieces on this team. What are some of the matchups you're looking forward to? And other than, like I always say, other than Miles Garrett, what are ones that you're not looking forward to? 
Yeah, so coming into this game, uh, or even really coming out of the bye, I do a, a prediction every year for BleedingUrianNation.com. I like predict the rest of the Eagles' schedule heading out of the bye. And I've been pretty good with it the past like three or so years now. Like, I get pretty close to what it's going to be. So uh, I had the Eagles losing to the Giants, sure oh, enough. Damn I thought it, I thought you were going to say the Browns. Go, sorry. <laughs> well, I had them beating the Browns, but now – uh, you know, I also didn't think they would look as listless as they did against the Giants as I thought it might be a little bit more competitive a game. So clearly I feel worse about the team now. Um, I do think in theory, the Eagles kind of match up better against the Browns because, you know, the Browns want to run the ball here and the Eagles for all their faults have typically been good at stopping running backs. Now they've been really bad at stopping like quarterbacks wide receivers, tight ends, even running the ball. So if you want to have some guys do that, you can probably win the game easily if you just do that the whole game. But um, but yeah, they, they, the defense is typically solid against the run. So I think that kind of gives them a chance. And then I think just what we've seen out of Baker Mayfield this year kind of been inconsistent. Um, you know, if he has a really bad game, then sure, you know, the Eagles have a chance in this one, I think. But uh, given the way this team, has, has this Eagles team has been playing, like, how can I have any confidence? I mean, Carson Wentz is probably just going to, he didn't have any turnovers last week. That's great. I'm sure he will this week. (laughs) You guys are in such a unique situation though, is yeah, you're three, five and one, but Mm -hmm. you guys are in first place in your division. So I I don't think, I I don't think I can't speak for the Eagles. Of course. Uh, I actually, I can't speak for the Browns either, but I, from everything I've been reading and seeing, they are taking this game as serious as any other, if not more, because this is such a big game for the Eagles playoffs hopes that, you know, they could see this as like, you know, if we make the playoffs of the new season. So I think people are taking this game very seriously, regardless of what Wentz and the Eagles have done the past few weeks. Sure. I, I think the Browns need the game more, though, too, when you look at, like, just the, the context of, like, again, I said, like, I think the Eagles can win the NFC East with a win or two more. Not to say they'll, they'll want this game less, but just when you look at the Browns, and their situation in the AFC playoff picture. I mean, you have like a billion teams there that are six and three and, and it's tight. And you know, the Browns are looking for that first playoff berth in forever. And it's there. Like it's, it's there for the taking if they can just hone it in. And I think, uh, I mean, I don't know how many people are still there. I know Andrew Barry, you know, formerly from the Eagles, but like going back further. Appreciate that very much. Appreciate yeah, him, by the sure. way. Thank you. Yeah, you're welcome. Uh, would have been nice if the Eagles could have kept him maybe, but uh uh, looking at like the Carson Wentz thing, I, I wonder if there's anyone in that front office that is like, man, it'd be so nice to like stick it to this team that you know, like that thought they, they were getting one over on us by getting Carson Wentz because this will be his first game in Cleveland that he's ever played um, since he's been drafted in 2016. Uh, funny enough, you know, they they played the Browns the first game of his career back in 2016. I called it. I exactly I remember exactly where I was standing that we opened mm-hmm. the season at Philly, and I stood there. I said he's going to score his first touchdown very easy on the first drive of this game against the Browns. And sure enough, very <laughs> early into the game, first t- career touchdown for him. Yep. Yeah, in 2016, you could have said that for like 32 other quarterbacks in the league. Well, sure, but it wasn't also, there's so much noise around why we didn't draft him and why we wanted yeah. to draft him. Yeah. So I was like, yeah. he's going to score the first drive. No, no doubt about it. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So I, you know, I just, I'm in the spot where the Eagles too, where it's kind of just like, and I wrote about this after the loss, to the Giants on Sunday it's like yeah they're first in the NFC East I get that but like no one really cares about that here they just they don't because they know this team is just like it's like a sham and, it, and it's concerning it's almost like if they win the NFC East it, it could be a false positive because then it's like the organization's gonna be well four straight years in the playoffs and two the first team to repeat as NFC East champion since the Eagles lasted it in 2004 now I obviously if they do that like with five six wins I don't think they're actually going to feel amazing about that but still like I don't even want them to be able to say that I think most people don't want them to be able to say that because like there's a fear that it'll it'll hinder progress and really you're kind of just stuck spinning your wheels and you're not getting any closer to seeing a light at the end of the tunnel I think that's what's the most depressing thing about the Eagles right now it's just like you know they're going to be bad but you also know they're not going to make meaningful changes to their foundation. So it's like, what's the point? Like we're just, we're just sitting here, we're watching and we're kind of just wasting our time. For those of you that missed what just happened right there, he used false positive and that, you know, Brandon's a pro by doing that because he's weaving current events like COVID terminology into football <laughs> lingo as well. So props on that one. So you talked about, you wrote your predictions. What are some of the things that, you know, you were thinking about coming to this game against the Browns? Yeah, the running game, obviously, like I said, that was key. And then, uh, kind of things I hit on before, basically running game, uh, Baker Mayfield's inconsistency. Uh, that's a big one. Um, 
Those are the big ones, honestly. I, well, I, I think too uh, with the the Browns' offensive line, which has obviously been playing well this year, that's that's going to be an interesting matchup because the Eagles, for all their faults, I will, and it's it's not as good as it was, you know, when they were competing for a Super Bowl, but the defensive line, you know, still has some at least some big names on it. Like, and Brandon Graham yep. uh, is having like an All Pro slash Pro Bowl caliber kind of season. He's like the one guy that you can count on to show up every week. Brandon Graham will probably make a big play in this game, whether that's if the Eagles are trailing by twenty or if it's to help win the game. He will kind of show up. Um, Derek Barnett, the Eagles 2017 first round pick, had a sack uh, against the Giants last week. That was good to see in the first play of the game. So, uh, you know, Fletcher Cox. I don't think he's kind of the elite player the Eagles really need him to be anymore, but he's still a very good, good player. So Definitely. I think it's going to be an interesting matchup up front with the Eagles defense, defensive line versus the Browns offensive line. I'm calling it right now. I told you guys this off mic, but I'm saying Alshon Jeffrey has an outrageous game. It's all, it just, Why? it just never fails Why? in my yeah. luck. And not just, not just the but Browns. Put that mojo on us. No, I'm just saying, I'm not, I didn't say we're losing. I'm just saying no matter what team of mine it is, it's always the player that hasn't really made a lot of noise in a while just has a crazy breakout game against my team. So I'm just saying, uh, I, that's my prediction about that. Um, is Zach Ertz back for this game? What's his situation? Yeah, so he was activated, you know, like this practice window was activated. He was designated to return. But I don't think he's going to be ready for this game. The timeline that was originally said was like kind of between week 11 and week 13. So, you know, this would be on the early end of a return for him. And then the Eagles just did something with their practice squad today. And this is really getting in the weeds here. But they protected a tight end on their practice squad. So that kind of makes me think, okay, they're kind of preparing for the possibility that Ertz doesn't play and they'll promote him to be their third tight end behind Dallas Goddard and Richard Rodgers. And honestly, I don't really know what Zach Ertz returning to this team means because in most years, that means you're getting one of your best weapons back when a Carson Wentz's most trusted uh, targets. But this year, he's been really bad. So uh, I don't even know if that makes the offense better. Maybe it makes them worse because Richard Rodgers has actually played well, surprisingly. Uh, with Zach Ertz gone. And then Dallas Goddard, in theory, is a better player. Hasn't really been. I don't think he's fully healthy still. He came back from injury. He hasn't really made a great impact in these past couple of games. So uh, I'm not expecting Ertz to be here. I wouldn't I wouldn't say there's a 0% chance, but I don't think it's likely. Before we get into some game predictions and we let Brandon get back to his regular life, uh, Raleigh, take it away. Um. What, are you talking about the fucking movies? I was waiting until we were done with shit before we were getting into movies. Are we going movies? <laughs> I, or are we doing predictions? I don't, I don't know why it's got to be fucking movies, but yeah, let's do All some. Right, uh, right, let's do the movies. All right, so new segment, Loyal Dogs of War. When we bring on a guest from another franchise, another city, we're going to ask them uh, a category that I'm a big fan of, movies, pop culture. Brandon, how do people feel about the movie Rocky? 1978, winner of Best Picture, it's iconic in Philadelphia. Well, you tell me if it's iconic in Philadelphia. Or at this point, is it like, okay, we get it. We had Rocky. <laughs> Do people fly behind the statue that's insane that you guys made a statue of him, by the way? Like, it is a fictional <laughs> character. Give us the rundown on Philly's take of the movie Rocky. Rocky 1, not Rocky 12. Yeah, I, I, yeah, good distinction. Uh, well, on the on the statue point, I will say there are much worse statues in in the United States that exist, and at least like Rocky, at least well, I mean uh, maybe Sylvester Stallone could do something, but Rocky, I would hope, I would think, cannot get like canceled and torn down or, or yeah, or, he is uh, safe. Yeah, I think it's a safer option. Um, but uh, but yeah, I mean, I think the Rocky thing is like kind of, you know like Philly people can talk bad about it if they want to, but like, you can't talk bad about it. Like, you know, you can't come in here and like, you know, disparage the Rocky statue. Like I think other, when other sports teams do that, like they, they try to pose with the Rocky statue, like the Vikings did before the NFC championship game in uh 2000 and January, 2018. And then the Eagles blow out the uh, Vikings 38 to seven. It's like, yeah, that's what you get for messing with the Rocky statue, uh, which on a daily basis, actually no one cares about. So, so it's kind of that funny <laughs> distinction there. Um, Rocky as a whole. Yeah, I mean, so it's it's cheesy. I think it's cheesy, but it also is relevant in some ways. I, I think back to my personal experience with Rocky when I'm watching like clips of of Rocky movies, the first one, I think the second one too, the day before the Eagles Super Bowl. So I guess that Saturday or even that Friday leading up to that Sunday. Like I was getting emotional, man. I was like, I'm watching this and I'm like, 
because this is Philly, man. This is like the underdog story. So uh, th- there is some truth to that. Um, there, there is some real Philly, you know, genuine aspect to that. But I think you know a lot of people like won't actually admit that because they're they're too tough, or they're not going to be like, oh yeah, Rocky, who cares? But deep down, there's there's some respect there. Yeah, yeah. If you don't, if you pretend like you don't get jacked up during the montage scene, you're lying to yourself. It's blue collar. <laughs> it's fantastic. If you haven't seen Rocky one. Go see Rocky 1. You got to admit, though, you said I'm not allowed trashing Rocky. Yes, Rocky 1, best picture, deserved every bit of it. But they've done it 37 times. When another one comes out, are you guys like, okay, come on? Or I actually, I kind of like the the Creed reboot where they brought back mm-hmm. Ivan Draco. Um, yeah. But you got to give it to Sylvester Stallone. Like, milking the same script that many times, like, good for him. It's <laughs> like, insane. He's on a yacht right now. We're working on getting our yacht money. Anyway, I don't know where I'm going with this rant, but thank you for the Philly insider rundown on Sylvester Stallone's Rocky. Do you know Ed Bassmaster, the YouTube guy? Yes. I He's one of my favorite YouTube guys, and him, his uh, the always testy stuff when he's wearing the Randall Cunningham jersey running around Philly, I laugh out loud hysterically at all of his clips. All right. Well, thank you for your time, Mr. Brandon. For those of you listening, uh, we're going to have a segment on Friday. What? Predictions. Hello. Yeah, we'll do the predictions after this shit. I'm trying to give them the Munilot payphone. Oh, okay. For those of you still listening, we're now going to do the Munilot payphone on Friday with the Friday Five, where Kevin and I go over a bunch of stats leading into this week's game against the Phillies. Call us 216-282-5063, the Munilot payphone, and leave a message, whether it's on Rocky, last week's game, the upcoming game. We don't really care what you talk about. Just try to keep it entertaining. Again, that's 216-282-5063. That's the Munilot payphone. Bring it out, Kevin. Let's do it. We like to end with predictions. It can Your score prediction, hot takes prediction, anything about this game. Brandon, you, sir, are first. Yeah, so I'm going to go against my original prediction here for my bye week thing. And I'm going to say the Eagles lose this game. They fall to 3 6 and 1. Uh, the Browns win. Um, I'm going to say it's close because, you know, I, I did predict the Eagles to win in the first place. I think they, the Eagles have some matchups here where they can keep it respectable. They're coming off such a bad loss to the Giants. Maybe the effort's a little bit more. Um, but ultimately, I think the Browns get the win here. I'm going to say something like 24 to 20. God, this is two weeks in a row. People keep taking my predictions. Uh, Raleigh, go ahead. Uh, I'm going to go 37 Browns, Eagles 17. Wow. Uh, that was I was going to say 24-20 because I think it's going to be very close, uh, especially if the weather is a clown show again on Sunday. I don't think it's supposed to be, but who knows. Uh, I'm going to go something like 21-18 Browns. It's going to be uh, – I think the Eagles are still playing for a playoff spot. It's still it, it, their record right now. The Browns, a lot of players are playing for a playoff spot. We're all playing for a playoff spot, obviously, but um, some other guys are playing for a contract. So there's a lot of things going on in this game um, under the surface level. So we're playing for Victory Monday, baby. And for Victory Monday. So one more time, Brandon Lee Gowton, Eagles reporter, manager and editor-in-chief of Bleeding Green and the co-host of BGN Radio. We'll have all the info in the episode's description. Sir, thank you for coming on and giving us the Eagles insight. Truly appreciate it. Let's all have a good game on Sunday and uh, pray to God no injuries. Thanks for having me, guys. This is fun. You guys are funny. This is a this is a good time. Thanks. No, <laughs> our pleasure. Thank you. That does it for Raleigh and I this week. Thank you for tuning in to the Dogs of War podcast. If you haven't already, please subscribe and hit like on whatever you're listening to us on right now. We greatly appreciate it. We'll be back next week. Let's go Browns. Good night, Cleveland.